0: As most of you probably know intellectually, there's a Bible study every Tuesday night here, and we've been in First John, and we've spent four weeks getting through this one little letter because every time we read something, it opens up. And over the past couple of months, I have been getting a consistent set of articles that I've been reading, and they've been informing the John study. But one of the things that I've said last time, and I will say again today, is Western civilization is dying. I think it was Suzanne who, in her prayers, was talking about how everything is chaotic. If you look at the West, which is Europe and the United States, their birth rate is below replacement. They don't even care enough to have children. Drug use is rampant. Suicide is rampant, which indicates that people have lost hope. We had the election of Trump, which just threw everything up with a pitchfork in the United States. Brexit did the same thing in Great Britain. And what you have in Great Britain is the established order trying to sabotage it. And then you've got the yellow jackets now in France. You've got ferment and foment all over the Western world right now. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is why that is, how we got there, And then what do we do, us, to help the process of getting out of this mess we're in? One of the problems we have, but I'll explain this in detail later, all sorts of our secular documents, the Declaration, those kinds of things, seem to us to be secular, but in fact they are a competing religion. And it turns out that it's not a very good religion, because instead of bringing human thriving and blessing it is now run its course and is starting to bring curses and death why are we talking about this in church? shouldn't we be talking about God? and I will suggest that the Bible is perhaps the most intensely political document ever written if you read the Bible as I know all of you have the business about getting to heaven actually shows up pretty late in the Bible And that's not the main emphasis. The main emphasis in the Bible is how do we live? How do we get along together? How do we form a society? How do we exist with each other so that we live in God's blessing instead of the curses that happen when you don't live in God's blessing? That's the subject of the Bible. And oh, by the way, when you get to Yeshua and so forth, oh, there's eternal life, too. Cool. I mean, bonus. But most of the Bible is political politics in the sense of how do people live together. Kate heard somebody on the radio that she mentioned to me, and his comment was, you don't bring people into church to get saved. Salvation happens out there. As you're going through your life and you're talking to people, you should be carrying the word of God to those people, making them hungry and drawing them to God. The church, the way I would describe it is it's like a frontier fort it's where you can come and you can be safe and you can rearm and you can rest and then you go back out there and fight the heathens. This is a fort, if you will, a place where you can be safe and you can learn and you can study and you can talk about things that are important without worrying about it. It isn't a place where people get saved. That happens out there. You know, as you go out there and work among people. So the, where are the problems? Human... Intellect has changed over the last 3,000 years. It used to be that there was a balance between what was the rational mind and the contemplative mind that was connected to God. We talked on Tuesday night. The words in the Bible don't mean to us what they meant to the people the Bible was written to. The vocabulary there, the words are the same, and we think we understand them, but we don't understand the way they were given. Love, truth, now have completely different meanings to us than they would have had to the people in Bible times. So as we read Scripture, we say, wait, I understand that, and I will suggest most of us don't. What's happened is, over these centuries, the rational part of the human mind has triumphed. And what it's done is it's crowded out contemplation and revelation. And the reason for that. Is because the rational mind is really, really good at producing stuff. Look at the United States. You plant the entirety of Kansas in wheat and you can feed the whole world without even breathing hard. So, what's happened is rationalism and science have become a substitute for blessing because blessing requires a relationship with God. It says so in the Torah, right? If you have a relationship with me and you do what I tell you, I will bless your socks off. Well, rationality enables us to get those blessings without the bother of having a relationship to this God who tells us what to do. Over the centuries, the success of the rational mind have crowded out our connection with God. We think we understand the words, but lots of us don't anymore. And by the way, as part of this intellectual development. I'm using the word loosely. What happened is people tried to make human thought rational. They tried to apply the rules of mathematics to human thought. The height of that was a guy named John Locke, who was a British philosopher in the 17th century. And the deal there was how do we make human beings rational? How do we make human thought reproducible by machine? How do we take thought and make it mathematically provable so that there's no more error? Because humans are notoriously error prone, right? We are. And so since the rational mind was ascendant, How do we get rid of all the errors and the fluff that is in humanity and get everybody to be rational? And Leibniz uh, invented calculus, among other things. What he was trying to do was get a language that was rational. Now John Locke codified a bunch of this stuff, and he was extremely influential on the French Revolution, and he was also extremely influential on Thomas Jefferson. He was not influential on George Washington, John Adams. He was not influential on Hamilton. And it's interesting because those ideas show up in our Declaration of Independence. They do not show up in our Constitution. Because the Articles of Confederation, based on the Declaration, were a total failure. And so what they did is they shipped Jefferson off to France to do whatever he does in France, and they sat down and wrote a Constitution without him. So the Constitution goes back farther to English common law and the Bible whereas the Declaration was written by Jefferson, as I say, who drank the Kool-Aid. So let's talk about these things. First, this idea of tabula rasa and what that is is Latin and what it means that every child as he is born is a blank slate and everything a person becomes is a function of the education and the environment that you put him in. Hence Our society's heavy emphasis on grade school, education, indoctrination, because the idea here is if we can get these little kids immediately and we can start working with them, we can turn them into rational human beings. By the way, none of the things up here is true. Everything on that slide is false. And I'm going to explain why. So the first one is the availability and sufficiency of reason, which is to say reason is the dominant human faculty it is available to anybody and if somebody disagrees with you it's just because they're not reasoning properly and if you can change the way they reason you can make them do what you want to do that's not true the Bible says it is not true Proverbs there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death that shows up by the way Trison Proverbs Identically, Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25. It was so important that it got written in there twice. Romans, for although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The Bible regards reason as being a really good tool for solving local problems. It's a really lousy tool for solving global problems. So the idea that reason itself is sufficient on how to organize society is not true. Not true historically, not true logically. But it really appeals to bright people. It is really attractive. And we have all of these policy wonks, in the Western world who have their theories of, if we could organize everything this way, it would be perfect. That's a very attractive concept. Goes clear back to the garden. If you eat of this tree, you will be like gods, knowing good from evil. We really are attracted to that. But it's not true. The next one is the free and equal individual. We regard these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. Again, that isn't true. Remember, I told you, Jefferson drank the Kool-Aid. Now, what I have taught in the past, because it's what I believed, and I now no longer believe it, is it is anti-aristocracy. Remember, I've said before, one of Jefferson's phrases was, it is not true that some men were born with saddles and other men were born with boots and spurs to ride them. I had always taken this as being anti-aristocratic before I recognized that its origins go back farther than that, and that isn't true. In fact, as we are born, we are born into families, tribes, societies, and so forth, and those societies influence who we are and place obligations on. My favorite example is every girl wants to be a princess, right? (laughs) princess is a good deal. Of course, the problem with being a princess is your brother may decide to marry you off to the king of Poland in order to purchase peace in Silesia. That goes with the territory if you're a princess. In other words, there are obligations placed on you by being a princess that you don't choose. So the idea that everybody is just free to do whatever the heck they want is, again, not true. It isn't biblical. And the final one is obligation arises from choice. Which is to say, you have to agree to something before you are obligated to it. Have you noticed the thing that's floating through our country right now? Oh, those laws were written by dead white men. That's point number three. I didn't agree to this, therefore it is not binding upon me. I didn't agree to be born a man, therefore I should be able to change whatever I am. I didn't agree to be this. I didn't agree to be that. And because I didn't agree with it, it is not binding upon me. That's, again, nonsense. It is not true. And all you need to do is look at Israel at Sinai. What happens? The people at Sinai say... We will ratify this covenant that God is offering to us, and it is binding on us, and it is binding on our descendants. And God holds them to it. So the idea that the only obligations that apply to you are those that you freely accept is, again, nonsense. It is not true. But all of this is really very attractive to us as people. Oh, we like the idea of being able to pick and choose what we're going to obey. We love the idea of being able to sit around and think, well, now, what's the best way to organize society? And we'll try and do this. But the problem is every society that organizes itself this way eventually comes to curses and ruin. And when I started off and said Western society is dying, what's happening is... This has run its course, and what we are now seeing is the downsides and the curses that come from that. That's what all the turmoil is about, is that this project has run its course. Remember, when we sin, judgment is not instantaneous. There's a time lag, and our time lag has been a couple hundred years, but now it's coming to an end. So if you look at France, who was the first one to really buy into this, this this informed the French Revolution big time, ever since Napoleon. And by the way, Napoleon was an attempt to spread this idea throughout Europe. We, the rational French, understand stuff, and what we're going to do is we're going to make you behave that way whether you like it or not. That was Napoleon. He finally got torn down and destroyed. France got torn down and destroyed look at Venezuela right now Venezuela bought into this used to be one of the richest countries in South America major oil exporter now they can't heat their houses because everything has turned to crap it's a function of these ideas look at Cuba Cuba used to be tremendously wealthy the Jewel of the Caribbean look at it now it's a basket case and the thing about all of this is the people who believe in it do not learn I'll say that one more time. The people who believe in this stuff do not learn. What they say every time they fail is, well, it just wasn't done properly. If we were in charge, it would be okay. We can make this work. They do not learn. They do not come back to that set of principles and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's where we're wrong. They don't do that. They simply push harder, and that's what the United States is doing, by the way. We are trying to export democracy, quote unquote, all over the world. And we will bomb you into submission until you decide to do it. That's what we're doing. It didn't work for Napoleon. It's not going to work for us. But that is typical of late stage humanism. And that's where we are, is late stage humanism in the United States. And it doesn't work. By the way, it's interesting. Locke was sort of at the high point of what is called the enlightenment the intellectual movement which is oh we're getting rid of the superstition we're getting rid of all of these churchmen we're getting rid of all of that stuff and we are now enlightened and again this is completely human goes clear back to the garden it is not the case that we are somehow an inferior group of people compared to people somewhere else we're not we have simply bought The Kool-Aid. Sounds really good. All men are created equal. Oh, boy, that sounds really good. Nice and egalitarian. Everything's cool. And by the way, that's why the elites don't mind immigration. Because in their mind, all we need to do is take these immigrants and adjust their reasoning process, and they'll be just like us. And what I'm saying is, every proposition on that slide is a lie. And it's really hard for us in the United States to hear, because I have grown up my entire life saying we hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, no, they're not self-evident. They're not self-evident at all. It is an attempt to make politics rational. What you do in geometry, you set up a bunch of postulates and axioms that you don't even try and prove. Axiom 6, I can remember it from my high school. Things equal to the same or equal things are equal to each other. I can still recite that, right? Well, that's what they're trying to do with human nature is set up postulates that don't need to be proven. They are self-evidently true, according to the people who wrote them. And then from there, everything else derives. And what I'm saying is they are not self-evidently true. They are not postulates. They are not correct. They are in direct conflict with both human nature and Scripture. And because they are in direct conflict with human nature and Scripture, what they've wound up doing is shredding every institution that we have. Look at the church. Remember I talked about the Edgar Church last time I was up here? For those of you who weren't here, there's a movie, Men in Black, and part of the stick is an alien kills this guy named Edgar and puts on his suit, and Edgar is sort of walking through the rest of the movie poorly coordinated. But what's happened is the church has become the Edgar Church. It has been hollowed out by these ideas because every time one of these ideas conflicts with the Word of God, the Word of the God gets suppressed. And that's what the church has done. That's why the church is no longer a bulwark. You know, the Episcopalians, the Presbyterians, the Baptists, all of these mainline churches that used to be the fortress in the frontier where you could go and retool and learn and get some respite so you could go back out. They're no longer safe for us because they have not gone back and examined these precepts. I was one of them. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Oh, cool. I believe that. And what's happened is, as human nature resists logic, which it does, the church has gotten rid of these truths. Our schools have been shredded. Our churches have been shredded. All of the institutions that we have set up to protect ourselves in this world have been destroyed by these ideas. That's why I'm saying it is a competing religion. It is not something in addition to religion. It's a competition. Now, as I said earlier, things like truth doesn't mean what it meant in biblical times. What truth now means is it follows from reason. That's what truth means now. I will set up a series of postulates here, and I will reason from those postulates, and anything I get by a traceable logic train is true. That's what truth means today. It's not what it meant in biblical times. Not at all. It meant something entirely different. But what do we do from here? read an article by a guy by the name of Yoram Hazoni. You may recognize his name because I use his book whenever I teach Esther. He's written an excellent book on the book of Esther called The Dawn. So I've known about him for a long time. He's a Jew, lives in Jerusalem, nine children. I don't know what flavor of Jew he is, but he is... Heading in the right direction. And what he says is that our way out of this is go back to English common law and look at how the English did it before the Enlightenment because we are descended from the English. And in fact, the revolution was designed not to be a French revolution. It was designed to get Americans their rights as Englishmen. That's why we rebelled, is because we as a colony, were not being given the rights of Englishmen, which we were. And the Constitution goes back to English common law and the Bible. As I say, they got Jefferson out of the way so he couldn't screw it up. And the Constitution we have, in fact, comes out of English common law and Scripture based on Torah. So the first thing that the English did is what's called historical empiricism, see what works. Look back on your history and see what things have worked and strengthen those. Do not strengthen what sounds good. That's where we are now. Obamacare, for example, sounds good. Doesn't work. So go back historically and see what worked for the English-speaking people, if you will. Don't go to the French. Don't go to the Germans. Good folks, but they've got their own traditions. And again, not necessarily anything wrong with their traditions. They're just not our traditions. Our traditions come from England. So go back and see what worked. Nationalism. That's what Trump is trying to do right now, which is to say we have a unique people and a unique culture that is worthy of preservation. And it is not the case that, gee, that sounds good. Let's try it. Is sound. It's not. We have a tradition and we have a culture that have been passed down to us, starting in the Magna Carta. That is worth preserving. And all of these people that are running around and tearing down statues and saying, "Well, those are dead white men and all that kind of stuff." Those people need to be stopped, because what they're doing is they're destroying our culture, public religion. In fact, George Bush's funeral was an excellent example. Straight. New England wasp. Funeral. Beautiful thing. We're reading scripture out loud. All of our leaders standing up and praying and reading scripture. Public religion. Doesn't have to be Episcopalian or Presbyterian or Baptist, but it has to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you want to be a Muslim, that's fine. You can be a Muslim, but you don't get to do Sharia law. Because That is contrary to our culture and our heritage. Don't care if you want to be a Muslim, that's all right, go ahead, but you don't get to dictate our culture. Limited executive power, that goes with the Constitution. The king doesn't get to do whatever he wants. He has to come to the people to get ratification for the things he wants. The king doesn't make laws. In English tradition, a long process of stripping the king of legislative power. The king doesn't get to make laws. The king doesn't get to levy taxes. He's got to go to parliament to have that happen. He's required to faithfully execute the laws, but he cannot make them. And that's how we set up our constitution, the separation of powers. Power in the constitution is designed to be in the legislature, which is the people. They are not the executive, however. They don't execute the laws. They make the laws, and they decide what taxes, and the executive goes and does it. By the way... You notice we've got a real problem with judges in this country. And the reason for that is a judge will stand up and say, gee, that's logical, that sounds good. I will rule that way. The idea that reason is supreme as opposed to tradition and law and culture. The idea 500 years ago of a judge saying, oh, abortion sounds good, because you have a woman who has not necessarily freely chosen to be pregnant. Therefore, there is no way that I, as the state, can impose upon her the burden of carrying that child. Sounds good. Abortion is now legal. Shreds hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition and culture, just because it sounds good. And the final one is, of course, individual freedom, which is to say that if you mind your own business, the state doesn't mess with you. And that's the thing that leads to prosperity and blessing historical empiricism go back and figure out what worked and do that and by the way we have some stuff in history that we can discard I don't have any desire to go back to slavery I think that was a bad system so you don't have to keep everything from history but you do have to figure out what worked and you need to strengthen that as opposed to letting some idiot judge or some idiot college students, shred it simply because something else sounds good. So what I'm suggesting to you, and again, remember I said that this is like a frontier fort. This is where you can come and talk about those things safely, and we can argue about it, and we can decide, well, maybe this is good to preserve, and maybe that's not. Those discussions are all fine. No problem. We are free people, and we get to discuss that but the other part of that is don't let these idiots fake you off things that are traditional because what they're doing is they are saying that your heritage was oh well those guys had slaves or oh well those guys did this or oh well those guys did that therefore they're illegitimate that is nonsense that is not true and what I am suggesting that you guys do you folks guys ladies gentlemen boys girls is get out there and defend our culture, because if you don't, the next thing that's going to happen is the French Revolution. And that's no fun, believe me. We do not want a repeat of the French Revolution here. But that's what eventually happens in this late stage of reason failing. And in order to stop that, we need to go back and we need to figure out what traditions need to be strengthened and we need to strengthen them and we need to stand up and defend it. And you need to look at these idiots and say, you're wrong, which drives them crazy, by the way. They believe in their own reason, their own hubris. And that's what we're dealing with here, is intellectual hubris. The point is, we have a society that we inherited it is our job to preserve it and pass it on to our children and if you don't fight for it your children will not have it